Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, I want you to take them out and go to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and we are going to look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira because that, there's nothing that says Mother's Day better than the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Amen? It is going to be a good, good day. It's already been a good day. Thank you for the worship ministry, Josh, and it's thank you, uh, Peyton and Jamie, singing that song, Speak Life. Can we give them another round of applause? I don't know where they are, but that's incredible. Incredible. They did a really, really, really good job, so I'm thankful for that. But Acts chapter 5, as we look at Ananias and Sapphira, as we've been working through um, the book of Acts um, over the past several, several weeks, we've been looking at what does the early church look like? And can we really become uh, like the early church? But so we've just come to our text, Acts chapter 5, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, Charles Spurgeon, who is known as the Prince of Preachers at uh, Metropolitan Baptist Church in London, um, there are hundreds and hundreds of his sermons uh, that have been recorded and have been in print, but there is not one sermon of his um, in print on Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So I think I'm better than Charles Spurgeon, so I think we're going to tackle this text, but um, you know, why? Because this is a difficult text. It's, a, it's an interesting text. It's a strange text, but, but we're going to tackle it today. But you know, when you look at Scripture, there are some, there's some couples in the Bible that when you say their names, you just know who they are. And so just tell me what you think of when I say these couples' names, Adam and Eve, what do you know about Adam and Eve? They're the first, they're the first couple, the first, first humans, the first parents. We know about them. How about Abraham and Sarah? Uh, we know a lot of their story. You know, they gave birth in their old age. And how many of you know about Noah and his wife, Joan? <laughs> Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc. <laughs> they're not a couple. That's not true. All right. Um, how about, how about this, this couple, Samson and, tragic story, how about this one, Ahab and, oh, Jezebel, yeah, yeah, Jezebel, that evil, wicked uh, queen. How about this one, David and Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba, we know this story. What did somebody say over there? Delilah? There you go, there you go, that works. There you go. How about this one? Let me, let me test your biblical knowledge on this one. Jehoiada, he's a priest. Jehoiada and Jehoshabeth. It's a great name, isn't it? Jehoshabeth, her name, her name means one who worships Jehovah. Isn't that good? Jo great story, Jehoda and Jehoshabeth. They, they saved their nephew from the evil and wicked uh, queen, and they saved him and hid him for six years. And when he was seven, they brought him back out of the public, made him king. Just a great, great story. When you jump over to the New Testament, you have Mary and Mary and Joseph. We know them, the parents of our Savior. And then we come to Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. What do you know about them? Well, we know that they are the couple who dropped dead in the middle of a church service. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> you thought you were going to hear a message on moms, how not to be overstressed and overwhelmed, but no. 
We're going to talk about how to drop dead in church is what we're going to look at. But, but uh, Ananias and Sapphira, you know, growing up, um, growing up, my mom was the one who would discipline me in my family. She would discipline me. Um, if, I, if I ever crossed the line, which was rare as a boy, <laughs> if I ever crossed the line, my mom would discipline me. Whether it was a good, a good talking to, a good speaking to, or a, or a good beating. Uh, she stopped beating me last year, I think is what it was. <laughs> but she didn't beat me. So uh, but if, if I ever crossed the line, my mom, was the one who would, who would discipline me. But do you know what my mom would not do? My mom would not discipline my friend, Cody Goolsby, when he crossed the line, right? My mom wouldn't discipline my friend, Chad Bullard, when he messed up. My mom wouldn't, wouldn't discipline my friend, Tim Gibbs, when he messed up. But the second I messed up, she disciplined me. The second her son crossed the line, mama disciplined me. Are you starting to get the picture? You see, if you were not my mom's son, she would not discipline you. She only disciplined those who belonged to her. And when she disciplined me, it was, as she, it was as if she was saying, son, stop. You stop what you're doing and you don't sin anymore. In our text this morning, we see a great God who says to his own sons and daughters, you stop. Are you with me? You stop the sin. You stop, you stop what you're doing. And what we're going to see in our text is that when God says to the early church in Acts chapter 5, when he says to the early church, he in essence says, we have sin in the camp. He says, you stop. And what the result of that is this, great fear comes over the church. If you remember in Acts chapter 4, we had great power, we had great grace. Now in Acts chapter 5, we have great fear. Great fear has taken over, over the church because why? Because God disciplines those he loves. Moms, you discipline those you love, amen? You discipline them. Where do we get that idea from? You get it from God, because that's what God does. He disciplines those he loves. Well, are you with me this morning? Amen. Well, let's look at our text. We're gonna begin in verse number one. We'll make some comments about the text, and then I'm gonna close with some applications. Verse number one, and here's our story. Here's the text. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Now let's get a little context here just to understand what we're reading. In Acts chapter four, we read last week, if you wanna know about last week's message, you can go online to listen to that. But in Acts chapter four, we read of this, that the early church, those who are believers, we're talking about uh, 
5,000 or 6,000 or so believers. Uh, scripture says they were in one heart and they were one soul, which means this, they were unified. They were together. The early church was together. And in Acts 4, uh, verse 34 and 35, Luke tells us this. He says, there was not a needy person among them. He said, there were believers who would sell their houses, they would sell their lands, and they would bring what they earned from the cell, and they would lay it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles then distributed to all those in need. In Acts chapter 4, we see it's a good thing to sell your home or homes or your lands or your property and give the proceeds, uh, give what you earn from that to give to the apostles. That's a good thing. As a matter of fact, the end of chapter four ends with the great story of a man by the name of Joseph, who we know as Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who sold a large piece of property and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is a good thing what Ananias and Sapphira want to do in verse number one. It says they've come to sell a piece of property. This is a good thing. Now, why is it a good thing? Well, one, what you will not see in this text is this, the church the apostles, the leaders, they're not pressuring anybody to sell anything, are they? They're not doing that. And the church isn't pressuring them to sell, nor is the church saying what you sell and what you earn, you need to give all of that to the church. Church isn't doing that. What we see very quickly and very early on in the early church is this, they believed in giving based upon what the Holy Spirit uh, encourages you to give. And I will tell you this, if you're a part of a church that says, you need to give this, you need to do this, you need to be careful. Be careful when the church comes and dictates to you what you have to do, what you have to do, and how you are to do it. But right here, the church isn't telling them what to do. So this is a good thing. If we stopped right here, we would say, oh wow, Ananias and Sapphira, they are in one heart and they're in one soul with the rest of the church. This would be a good thing. Now, by the way, do you know what the name Ananias and Sapphira means? Ananias means this, God is gracious, and Sapphira means beautiful one. Well, what we're going to read about these two, it is neither gracious nor what? Beautiful. Are y'all with me this morning? Are y'all afraid you're going to die today? I want you to look at this, because over the next few verses, Here's, here's what I see in our text. I see there's a couple of things, three things that Ananias and Sapphira do that, stop, that stops the growth of the church for a brief moment. See, if you go back to Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4, we see the church is a juggernaut. It's exploding. It is exploding. But here in Acts chapter 5, there is a hiccup. Something stunts the growth. How do you know it stunted the growth? Well, Acts 5 verse 13 says that, that none of the rest dared to join them. For a moment, in the explosion of the early church, for a moment, the growth is stunted. Why? Why did the church stall for just a moment? It stalled because of Ananias and Sapphira. 
I want you to write this down. Here's the first thing that I see Ananias and Sapphira do. Number one, they were motivated by selfishness. Look at verse number two. Ananias and Sapphira, they're motivated by selfishness. This is what it reads. Verse one says they um, sold a piece of property. But verse two, it says, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now stop there for a second. Does anybody remember the Old Testament story in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter seven uh, specifically? It's the story of Achan. Anybody remember that story? Uh, Achan um, is the story of when uh, in the battle of Jericho, the Israelites destroyed Jericho. They move on to this little video city called Ai and they have a massive defeat. You remember this story? And Joshua comes to the Lord and says, God, why were we defeated? And God says, Joshua, you got sin in the camp. Something's going on. And Joshua says, well, what is it? And God began to show him what was going on. And Joshua began to ask questions. And and Joshua narrowed down the sin to one man and his family. And that man's name was Achan. And he asked Achan, Achan, what did you do? And Achan begins to tell Joshua what he did. And he said, Joshua, uh, as we were destroying Jericho, um, I saw a breastplate and I saw some gold and I saw it and I, and I liked it. I liked what it, was, what it was. And so I took it and I hid it in my tent. I buried it in the ground so nobody could see it. But God had already told Achan and all of the Israelites, you don't touch anything from Jericho. You don't take anything, but Achan deliberately disobeyed. And when he was confronted, he even was was shaky on on the truth. But, But what Achan is to the Old Testament, Ananias and Sapphira are to the New Testament. Achan did something he was not supposed to. He hid it. And God destroyed Achan and Achan's family because he disobeyed. Now, what's interesting with that story in here in Acts chapter 5 is look back at verse number 2 in Acts chapter 5. You see the phrase, he kept back for himself. Do you see that? Well, in Greek, that word literally means purposely set aside to yourself. And what's interesting is that that Greek word is used one other time in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament was written into Hebrew, but then translated into Greek for the Jewish people called the Septuagint. And so this Greek word that is used in Acts chapter 5, verse 2, it is used in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, in the story of Achan, when it says this about Achan in Israel. It says this, but the people of Israel broke faith. That's the same word that's used in Acts chapter five, verse two. So what Achan did is he purposely took something and set it aside to himself and he broke faith. And so what that means is this, when you break faith or when you keep something back for yourself, what that means is this, you're thinking only of yourself. And here Ananias and Sapphira, they are motivated by selfishness. Now let me ask you a question today. Is it possible that even in today's church, that people in the church can only think about themselves and themselves only? Is that possible? Are y'all with me this morning? Can you only think about yourself and nobody else? You can. And it happened in the early church. 
And you know what happened? It stunted the growth of the church. Aren't you glad you came here on Mother's Day? (laughs) Pastor said, I'm the reason we stunted the growth. No. But this is what we see here. Well, here's a second thing that takes place in Ananias and Sapphira. Not only are they motivated by selfishness, number two, they're manipulated by Satan. They're manipulated by Satan. Look at verse number three. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? How did you do this, Ananias? Is Satan, is, the one, is he the one that is motivating you and manipulating you? Now, how did Peter know this? We don't know how Peter knows this, but we believe that Peter has a uh, direct connection to the Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit. But right here in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, this is the first mention of Satan in the book of Acts. And it happens in the midst of the church. Look at your neighbor and say, are you Satan? (laughs) This is where it happens. Now, why is Satan showing up? Why is Satan showing up? What is Satan up to? Well, we know again, Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4, we know that the church is exploding. And in Acts 4, Satan tries to uh, put some outside pressure on the church. They arrest Peter and John and they're, and they're being persecuted. But, but what happens in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 when they're persecuted on the outside, what happens? The gospel spreads, right? And historically, this is what happens, church. Whenever the church is pressured on the outside, outside in, here's what happens historically. The church expands. When the church is pressured on the outside, when the culture turns against it, here's the amazing thing that happens. The church becomes one heart and one soul, and the church begins to expand. So Satan has to change his strategy. You know, Satan's not pretty, he's not dumb. He's actually pretty smart. And so now what you see is, is Satan has moved from the outside pressure, and now he's going, to tra- he's, going to, he's going to wreak havoc in the church by doing it from the inside out. This is an inside job. Satan has manipulated Ananias and Sapphira, and he has led them to lie. Is that still possible today? Can God, excuse me, can Satan manipulate those within the church? Can he manipulate them and trick them to doing ungodly things? You bet he can. And you can look at it in church history. Is that when the church declines and when the church is destroyed, it is typically an inside job. Are you with me? It's when we as believers, we're not standing firm, we're not resisting the devil. And we allow Satan to get a foothold, and it's that inside job that destroys us. Here's what's happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Now, many people will wonder, well, were Ananias and Sapphira, are they believers? That's a question that many people have asked. Are they, are they, are they believers? I believe that they are believers uh, because in context, this is, this is the church they're all, they're counted in the church. And then when you look at our text in Acts 5, 3, when it says Satan has filled your heart, that word filled your heart is not the word, the Greek word used for possession. A little side note here. Um, 
believers in Christ Jesus cannot be demon-possessed. Now, you may act like a demon sometimes, but you can't be possessed. But you can be oppressed. When you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. Amen? You are possessed by the Holy Spirit. So this is not the same word. So again, I believe that they're still believers. And, and really the third reason why I believe they're believers is because Luke is telling us their story. If they're non-believers, why would Luke tell us their story? It doesn't make sense. But if they're believers, Luke is wanting us to know something about them. And here's what I know is that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And if it is somebody who goes to church, who goes to Sunday small groups, who goes to D groups, who prays, but if he finds that person, he has his man, he has his woman. And this is what is happening. So we see in our text, Ananias and Sapphira, um, they are motivated by selfishness. Um, They have been manipulated by Satan. And here's number three. Look at verse number four. Ananias and Sapphira manufactured godliness, meaning this, they had to work to look good. Look at verse four. While it remained unsold, this is Peter speaking, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it, was, after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? What Peter's saying is, you had control of all of this. You, you had a control over this. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. That word contrived means this. It means that Ananias and Sapphira, they were in symphony together. That's what contrived, symphony. They were in total agreement. These two, these hu- this husband and this wife, they came together and said, let's do this. Let's sell our land for this amount. Let's tell the church we sold it for this amount and let's give it for this amount. They purposely lied. They purposely deceived the church because they wanted the church to think that they are better than they really were. They wanted to look good on the outside when their inside was not looking too good at all. The Bible has a term for that, and that is called a hypocrite. A hypocrite was an actor in in ancient days where where an actor would put on a mask to depict an emotion or something. And so a hypocrite means you put on a mask to show other people what's on the outside, but not what's on the inside. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they are the hypocrites. Have you ever heard the argument when you invite somebody to church, hey, won't you come to church with me? No, I'm not gonna go to church because why? The church is full of hypocrites. Because the church is full of hypocrites. And so what Ananias and Sapphira do, they want other people to think how godly they are, but they didn't want to put the work into being godly. Are you with me? You still glad you're here on Mother's Day? You still wondering how I'm gonna tie this into Mother's Day? We'll get there, hang on just a second, we'll get there. But let me ask you a question. Because it's real easy to condemn Ananias and Sapphira for their hypocrisy. But have you ever tried to present yourself as better than you really are. Has that ever happened? Yeah. 
And so when we read this text, if we're honest with ourselves, we see ourselves in Ananias and Sapphira. We too are hypocrites. But praise be to God that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, amen? I'm reminded of a story of a pastor who went to go have dinner at one of his church members' home, kind of talking about hypocrisy. And, and uh, the pastor and his wife made it to the church member's home, and the pastor noticed a note on the church family's uh, uh, table, on the kitchen table, and the note said this, today, pastor and family coming over for dinner, then a dash, and it said this, dust off all the Bibles. <laughs> Are you with me? Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted to trick people. They wanted to, to fool people. But know this, God cannot be fooled. He cannot be fooled. He knows the deepest, darkest recesses of your soul. You cannot hide. You cannot run. He knows everything. Well, let's read the rest of the story because it looks like you're about to fall asleep. So let's read the story. Just follow along. Verse 5. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And great fear came up all who heard of it. And then these young men rose up, wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. Verse 7. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. By the way, how come nobody told her? How come nobody told her? I mean, what is she doing? How is she oblivious? I mean, do you think this would have spread? This, this news should, it should have spread. Nobody told Sapphira, Miss Beautiful. Nobody told her. And look at verse 8. In verse 8, and Peter said to her, Peter said to Sapphira, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Now stop there for a second. Here's a moment for Sapphira. Here's a moment. Here's a moment for a wife to be the wife of the century. Here's a moment where Sapphira can stand up and say to Peter, it's his fault. <laughs> Wives, it's his fault. Here's her chance to say, I married a deadbeat husband. It's his fault. He's the one. She had every chance. She had every opportunity to say, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Yeah, we, 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 we did this together, but it was all his idea. He's a dirty, rotten dog. She had her chance. She had her chance to say, I'm sorry. And here's what I believe. I believe that if Sapphira would have said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it was wrong. We said that we sold the property for $70, excuse me, we sold it for $70, but we told you we sold it for $50, and we gave you $50, and we kept the other 20 to ourselves. If she would have said those words, do you know what I believe Peter would have said to her? I believe he would have said to her, Sapphira, I have some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is this, you are free to remarry. 
But the bad news is, your husband, your, your, your husband is dead because he dishonored our God. She had her chance. Well, what does she say? Peter said, tell me whether you sold the land for so much, and she said what? Yes. yes. She lied. What does this teach us? It teaches us, one of the things it teaches us is this, is that you're responsible for your own actions right here. Sapphira could have saved herself. Are you with me? You don't get into heaven on somebody's coattails, and you don't go to hell on somebody's coattails. That was kind of harsh, wasn't it? But it's the truth. Peter said, did you do this? And she said, yes, I did it. And then verse nine, Peter said, well, how is it that the two of you have agreed together in symphony to test the spirit of the Lord? You've lied to the spirit, you've lied to God, now you've tested the spirit. And by the way, how often do we test the spirit of the Lord, meaning we try to push the envelope as far as we possibly can without facing the consequences of our disobedience? Are you with me? We try to stick our toes as close to the line of sin and not expect any uh, consequences. We better be careful. And Peter said, behold the feet of those who have buried your husband at the door and they will carry you out. And look at verse 10 and it says, immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. When the young men had come in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard these things well. God disciplines those he loves. And we must be careful about lying, hypocrisy, and about pushing the envelope on how far we can go in our sin. Because there's coming a day, and scripture says this, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out well. How can we apply this to Mother's Day? I have no idea. <laughs> Actually, I do. There's about four things I wanna share with moms, ladies, rather quick, quick things, but it's applicable here. Number one, ladies, a woman who fears the Lord, she's the one to be praised. In our text, Sapphira wanted to please her own husband more than the truth of God's word, and she lost her life. Ladies, I, I don't understand everything that you go through in our world, I don't. And I would be lying and making things up to say that I do, I don't. But I do know this, that you are hit on every side from our culture. You are told to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to do a certain thing, to do whatever. But ladies, let me remind you, you were not created to seek praise from the culture. 
You're created to fear God and seek his glory and to seek his pleasure and let him say to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what you're created for. Moms, there's no such thing as a perfect mom. Kids, don't say a word. (laughs) There's no such thing. You have failures, that's okay. You have weaknesses, you have strengths, that's okay. But the main thing from God's word for you moms, ladies, is that you fear God. And when you fear him, you will be praised. People will flock to you to hear your words of wisdom. You fear him. Young ladies, young ladies who are waiting for Prince Charming to come. He's never going to come. But while you wait for your husband, you fight for purity. Because it's in purity that you will find power and you'll find godliness. You say no to what the world wants from your body. You say no to it. Well, pastor, you don't understand the pressure. No, I don't understand the pressure, but I know this, that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. If you stand firm, God will do everything in his power to equip you and to support you. But you stand firm and you make a commitment in your young age that you live your purity and purity alone. And moms, grandmoms, they're gonna learn it from you. They're gonna learn it from you. Your goal is to fear God. And his word is true, he says, that woman is the one to be praised. Sapphira was so more interested in what other people thought of her. She thought it was better to have other people think she was godly when in reality she was not godly. Ladies, you work on inner beauty because that's what lasts. Number two, ladies, you be a God pleaser, not a people pleaser. This is something I tell my girls often that you make it your goal in life to please God more than anybody else in this world. You make it your aim, you make it your goal that you please God and that you do not please man. That if there's ever a moment when a Peter comes into your life and says, did you do such and such? And you have a moment to tell the truth and to be honest and it may hurt some people, you choose the way of you pleasing him and you hurting other people. That's the reality of following Jesus Christ. Because when you follow Christ with all of your heart, soul, and strength, it's going to hurt people. It does. It may cause you to be alone for a period of time. That's what happens when you follow Jesus. But to hear the words of our Heavenly Father when you enter into eternity, when he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant, to hear those words, will so soothe a broken soul that we cannot even imagine. It will be what the Bible says, a balm in Gilead. 
It will heal all of those, those wounds that you've experienced. It will heal all of those moments of being alone. It will heal all the moments when you were so hurt because you stood for purity and you stood for God in a culture that doesn't want to stand for him just to hear the words, well done. And you get to experience that for all eternity. Don't be a Sapphira that says, yes, I lied. Don't do that. You be a God pleaser more than a people pleaser. So ladies, number one, this is what you do. You fear God. You be a God pleaser, not a people pleaser. And then number three, moms, grandmothers, teach your children that God disciplines those that he loves. God is a loving God. Yes, he is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But because of his love, he will discipline his children when they cross the line. And God will use that discipline to shape us, to form us, to mold us, to melt us, to allow us to go through the fire until we look exactly like our Heavenly Father. Moms, you teach your children that God disciplines those he loves. It's the reason you discipline your sons or your daughters, because you love them. If you didn't like your children, well, There's moments that may be true, but if you didn't love your children, you would not discipline them. You would let them do whatever they wanted to do. Are you with me? Maybe not. Number four, moms, I wanna let you know that God honors a life of integrity. Ananias and Sapphira did not live a life of integrity. What's integrity? Integrity is this, you are true, through and through. What's on the inside is what you're gonna get on the outside. Moms, you fight for integrity. And moms, I know there's moments when you wake up in the morning and you're laying in bed and you may say something like this, you know, I am not going to yell at my children today. (laughs) 10 minutes later, you're confessing your sin. (laughs) I already yelled at them. but just be true. Own up, when you mess up, own up, fess up, and just be a lady of integrity. Be beautiful on the inside. That's that's what comes out. Beauty on the inside, be true through and through. Several, several years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to go through some Chick-fil-A leadership uh, with one of the Kathy sons and me and a group of about five other guys, and we sat around this huge mahogany table. And uh, uh, one of the Catholic brothers, I can't remember which one it was, but he was just teaching us about Chick-fil-A's model and their leadership. But he kept coming back to integrity. He kept coming back to integrity, and finally you could tell he's getting animated, and finally he says, guys, do you know what integrity is? And he begins knocking on that mahogany table. Do you know what integrity is? He said, some tables, which are big, and they look like they're mahogany, but really what they are, they just have this thin layer of wood, a veneer type thing just on top of it that looks like mahogany, but underneath it, it's this compressed particle board. Compressed particle board. 
He said, guys, that's not integrity. Integrity is this, that table is solid wood. It is wood through and through. He said, that's integrity. Ladies, you be women of integrity, that you are true on the inside, and then you let your beauty shine on the outside. Amen? Well, was that not the strangest Mother's Day sermon? But let us go back to the moral of the story. Is there sin in the camp? Do you have sin in your life? You need to confess it. And you need to get it right. Let's pray. Father, Father, I'm thankful for a mom that disciplined me, that she loved me enough to correct me when I was wrong. And Father, today I can say I'm better for it. And so Father, in this moment, at this time, if you need to discipline us, have your way. Right where you are at this time, nobody's looking, all heads or bowed and eyes are closed. If there's anything that you need to confess to the Heavenly Father, would you do that at this time? Just take a couple of seconds to say, Father, I I realize I've, I've sinned. And just tell him you admit it and you take responsibility for it, confess it, and then say, God, I'm sorry. and then receive his grace, for he loves you. God, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said,